We are in the middle of a series called Anything But Average. Anything But Average. And if you were with us last week, you know, we walked into this idea that nobody really puts themselves in the category of average. No one wakes up and looks in the mirror and goes, average. Well done, average, right? No one looks at their life and goes, my goal for my life is to just nail it right in the average. I just want to score and be right in the average, right? No one talks about their family and you say, hey, tell me about your kids. And they go, yeah, you know, my kids are average. That never comes out. And I can tell you the conversation I've never had, fellas, I've never said, hey, tell me about your wife, right? And you go, well, you're average, That just doesn't happen, right? Nobody puts themselves in that category instinctively. But here's the thing about average. Average, just by definition, is what's most true of most of us. And so we walked into some of the tension of average last week, and we talked about how it was pretty amazing to be an average American. There was a point of pride there. But even that came with some tough realities. We talked about the average debt and the average time that fathers spent with children here in America. We talked about some of the averages that have become harsh and stark realities for us. And really, we focused last week on relationships. And we talked about how Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, pressed us to push out of the zone of average. And we specifically talked about relationships. We talked about uh, turning the other cheek last week. And uh, some of you were challenged by that, and it was good. And we talked about what that meant, about overcoming offense in order to have incredible relationships. We talked about going the extra mile and breaking average by exceeding expectations. And uh, we talked about how we all love someone who has the give the shirt off your back description about them. We want to raise children who, we, who someone would say, yeah, that's, that's a person who would give the shirt off their back. And so we talked about this idea of average relationships in Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 6, the conversation pivots a little bit. And Jesus begins talking about how do we live av- above average uh, in a way that doesn't put all of our eggs in the basket of now. And he says, there is a way to live now that invests in our future and improves our later. And here's what he began talking into. And it's crazy that in the first century, this was still an issue and it's still an issue today. But we are a people who naturally gravitate towards the path of least resistance to have everything we can possibly have right now. We don't enjoy delayed gratification. We're about instant gratification. We want things now. We want them, we see them, and we want them, and we see them, and we want them, and when do we want them? Now. I sound like a cheerleader, right? We want stuff. When do we want it? Now. We want, right? That's what it kind of sounds like. But it's true. We live in a culture and a time that has invested in teaching us that we should and could have anything we want now. And Jesus looks at a culture who's moving in that direction and says, there is something incredibly average about trying to get everything you can right now and making no investment forward. And here's what happens. This is how I know this is true. I looked around my house 
And I think, how many things in my house are geared to make sure I can have whatever I want right now? The microwave, right? Make sure that within seconds, I can burn my mouth with cheesy goodness. Now, right? My iPad or computer, I could know any information in the world now, even the wrong information, right now. My DVR says, I don't have to watch commercials and I tell my TV when my shows are on, right? I don't have to do, when's the last time you looked at a TV guide? How many in here have not had a TV guide in their house for like at least five years, right? But we grew up with TV guides and anticipating the next time the show was going to be on, right? Now we just tell our TV, it's on when? Now. We live in a culture like now. Then we go to the store and we see something we want. And we look at our account and we go, ah, no problem. I got this little piece of plastic and it says I can have anything I want. When? Now. And you look at a world who has no sense of delayed delayed satisfaction and everything is about instant gratification. And so Jesus talks about it. In fact, we actually have candy. That's what this candy is about, right? We actually have candy that is called now and laters because we want to experience it now and we want it to last till later. And it sold us. Some of you are like, what is that? And some of you are like, oh, best candy ever. Are you going to give us those? You can steal some afterwards if you want. I got extra right here. I could throw it out like it was youth group, right? And everybody went, and go crazy. (laughs) So Jesus walks into that. But here's the thing. It is average to be consumed with now with no regard for later. And Jesus speaks into this tension. We get consumed with now and no regard with later. You know, for years, as I did student ministries, I learned that this behavior was ingrained into us at a very young age. And I can remember some of the hardest conversations I have with teenagers trying to explain to them that if they were to wait, whatever the thing is, maybe it was a physical relationship. Maybe it was, uh, you know, just I want to grow up and have freedom and I want to be able to do it all. Whatever it is, there was this sense of why should I wait? I want it now. That's future me's problem you're talking about, Pastor Mike, and I don't even know that guy. Who cares what happens to that guy? I can have it now. And I can remember time after time sitting down with young men and young women and just having conversations with them about how the choices and decisions that they make now will affect their future. It's scary that we don't connect the dots sometimes and think about how our decisions and choices affect us. Now, I remember the first car I ever got, 1986 Chevy Sprint. It was amazing, three cylinders. That thing, it was a, it was a a manual transmission, but it wasn't a five-speed. It was like a four-speed. I don't think, you think you have to have a fourth cylinder to get to a fifth speed. I think that's kind of how that works. I'm not a car guy, but somewhere in there, that tension, right? And so I remember 
I got this car. It was gifted to me from my cousin. Had the baldest tires it could possibly have. It was, I, I think the speedometer or the odometer had been rolled over twice. So it was in the 200,000 mile plus range, right? And I got this car and I got it about two days before I got my license and it was parked out in front of my house. And I wanted to go pick up my friend so we could learn how to drive a clutch. But he didn't have a, a way to get to me and he was about a couple miles away. No one was home at the house because I always had free reign of things. And I thought, I'll just take the car. I'll be able to drive it at least to him. And then he can teach me how to drive a clutch from there. Now, if you've never driven a clutch before, then you're in my world at this point. And I get in this car and I'm just like, I don't know, I've seen TV, right? It's pre-internet everything. So I couldn't just YouTube how to drive a clutch. And so I just get in this thing and I start herking on things, grinding on things. Smoke is flying out of the back as I slam it into reverse because I didn't know reverse was there. I thought it was, you know, going to be fifth and it was reverse over here. And just, and just all kinds of crazy things are happening. And I made it miraculously to his house. But that car lasted about well, a week and a half before I burn through the clutch. Now here's the problem. The clutch on that thing was worth more than the car. So now I had a free paperweight in my driveway. I ended up gifting it to somebody else down the road and then I had to wait till I could save up money and get a car. What's the problem? I couldn't wait a couple of days. I had no sense of delayed gratification I saw the car. I wanted to do something. No one was home to tell me I couldn't do it, although I knew I wouldn't have been allowed to do it. I won't say whether or not I had my license yet. It was close. And I just grinded gears a couple neighborhoods over till I found my friend. And then, he, you know, we went to a parking lot and he showed me how to, I was a good driver after that, but it was the end of that. And some of you guys know things like car maintenance. I mean, come on. A little bit of now protects your later. A little bit of wisdom now, making sure you got things like, I don't know, oil in there. I gotta tell you, <laughs> so many funny stories. You, know, you work in youth ministry, and you work with teenagers long enough, you're just like, oh my goodness. I remember being at a, a, a bowling event, and this teenager pulls up to, to drop off her brother and sister. She's like 17, 18. She's dropping off a couple junior hires. And, uh, and she comes in, and she goes, hey, Pastor Mike, can you look at my car for me? I think that there might be a problem with the tire. And I walk out there, and this tire is on the ground. Like, it's just flat on the ground. And it's a really nice car. And I was like, why do you got a really nice car? And she goes, well, I wanted to use my dad's gas since he's out of town. So I drove his car. I saw that the tire was flat, but I figured I'd rather use his gas. So she drove on a completely flat tire, miles and miles and miles, all to save her own gas. Because her dad, I, call, I called her down. I'm like, dude, you're going to have to come down here. you got some problems with this car. But that's the thing. No sense of now and later being connected. I just need something now. And I'm not worried about what will happen later. And here's the thing. Jesus wants us to have a value system that is highly concerned about later and not just right now. And so we were in Matthew chapter five uh, last week. We're gonna turn the page and be in Matthew chapter six. Uh, I'm gonna begin on in verse 19. And we're gonna talk about Jesus walking in to this value system of I have to have everything right now. And some of you are gonna freak out a little bit because he's gonna talk about treasures and money in here a little bit. But we're gonna walk into just this tension of allowing our heart to be okay with the future. 
Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 19, Jesus says some powerful words. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pause right there for a second. I was thinking about the first century that he's talking to. And when he talks about treasure and protecting your treasure, this was a difficult culture to protect your treasure in. They didn't have the kind of banking system that we have right now. They didn't have the type of security that we have right now. Think about the industry that is in the world today to just help us protect our treasure, to just help us store our wealth and our stuff. Actually read somewhere right now, there are enough storage units in the United States of America that every human living in the United States of America could walk and stand in storage units at the same time. And there'd be no humans not in a storage unit right now. That's crazy how much stuff we're protecting and storing and guarding. There's entire shows about people who, who just go looking for your treasures that you stored and forgot about. That's crazy how much of our time and energy is about storing and protecting what we consider our stuff or our treasure. It was much tougher then. They would have had an instant picture of him saying, hey, don't try so hard to hoard your stuff and pile it up in a way that makes you feel secure. That's not the place to be storing things. The American dream is all about storing up treasures here on earth. We're constantly told you earned it, you deserved it. Hey, what happens here stays here. It's, a, it's all about instant gratification. And then Jesus shows us that this doesn't only affect your future, it actually affects our eternity. See, if I spend my whole time on earth storing and hoarding treasure, Jesus says that will be connected to your heart. And the heart will be weighed down by that stuff. I think about story after story of people talking about regrets in their lives and constantly connecting those regrets to time they didn't spend with people, but time they spent searching to gain treasure that isn't going with them. Now, it's not wrong to make money. He's not saying that about that at all. He's just saying, if your purpose and your priority is how can I store up treasure in the now. How can I gain treasure today in the now? You've missed the right priorities. What are the things that we can do that last, that are beyond that? What areas of our life are we storing up treasures? And what areas of our lives are we pushing those treasures ahead to heaven? Philippians says it this way. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying we have to be the people who guard our hearts. And when we're constantly worried about the state of our treasure, our hearts get afraid and worried. And there's tension there. 
What does he want us to guard against? Bitterness, hatred, temptation, Greed. He's saying, when your life is about the content of your treasures now, when it's everything that, that has to happen in your life right now, you're in danger. Your heart is in danger. Time after time, the scriptures say, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to protect your heart. I don't know about you, but this is tough for me. I look around and I think, security and enough stuff. And I'm not greedy. I just need enough stuff. I just need a little bit more. And here's the funny thing. It's always a little bit more, right? I'd be okay if it was just a little bit more. I don't need that much, just a little bit more. It's funny to look at the, uh, the interviews that they do with people in different uh, uh, financial brackets and classes. They always think one class up is a class that hasn't made. One class, if I could just push up, right? I'm in this group. If I could just get into that group, and the people in that group, I'm in that group, if I could just get into that group. And the people above them, they're like, I'm in this group, if I could just get into that group. Why? Because they're living with all of my treasure and all of my heart connected to now. And Jesus is saying, our treasure has to be invested ahead. It has to go forward. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now, I had tension with this. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm still studying trying to figure this out because I had this epiphany thought. I was like, okay, God, I'm with you. Jesus, I get this. You want me to send my treasure ahead and, and not be so connected to things right now that I'm not, I'm not willing to give my life away. I'm not willing to give my stuff. I'm not willing to serve. I get all of that. And the point of that is I store up treasure in heaven. So I was starting to ask the Lord, all right, God, what do I spend my treasure in heaven on? What's the, what's the greater value of having more treasure in heaven versus less treasure in heaven? And I'm wrestling with this because that's how I think, right? So I'm talking to the Lord about it. And I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest with you. I'm still pressing into this. So this is not theologically, uh, I haven't landed in a zone that I'm 100% sure what treasure in heaven is. But here's what I know. The things that are eternal, the things that go with you into the heavenlies are people, and relationships, and souls, and lives, and connective tissue, that God's treasure is always about his presence, and it's always about people. And Jesus is saying, when you're living for the now, when you're living for the stuff, when you're living to just only improve your station and situation in life, again, it's always been about relationships and people. You pull yourself from opportunities to pour into the lives of others. And those are the treasures. Those are the connections. Those are the things that I want to experience in heaven. I don't know how heaven could be awful, but if people I love aren't there, I don't know how else, come on now, to feel about that. And Jesus is saying, don't live so much for the now that you aren't invested in the lives of people and others, the treasures in heaven that matter. I don't know, theologically, someone might go, oh, think treasure in heaven actually stands for. I don't know. I just know what Jesus loves. It's people. I'm just telling you, I'm a little vulnerable right there. So I'm pressing into that. Verse 22, he goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Everyone with glasses is like, What? <laughs> not what he's saying. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Come on. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This was a struggle for me to understand until I started understanding the principle of a lamp isn't like the principle of a lamp that we have today. Didn't have electricity and batteries. So a lamp is a little bit of a different idea. And the idea that they have here is that the lamp, it receives the light and then it can illuminate the light. There has to be a power source that goes in and illuminates the lamp, right? And brings it up. So Jesus is saying, what comes into your eye will illuminate what's on the inside of your body. What you're thinking about, what you're dreaming about, what you're lusting after, what has your attention, what you're focused on comes in through the lamp and it illuminates what's inside of you. He's saying, be very, very, very careful what you spend all your time going, oh, I wish I had that. Oh, if I just had that. Oh, because it illuminates or it darkens what's in the inside of your heart and of your life. He's saying, you've got to see clearly. There was a story I read, um, true story from 2012, a fighter pilot named Francis Imlay. He was from Idaho. And he was in Southeast Asia. Some of you may know the story. And he was doing uh, drills with the, uh, it's not a co-pilot that sits behind him. It's like a weapons pilot or whatever sits behind him. And they were doing drills out in the desert in the middle of the night in Southeast Asia. And they were flying around at 405 miles per hour. And they finished doing all the drills and they're just flying along. And they see the light and they believe that the light is stars but it's not. You see, they've gotten inverted and they don't realize it. He's 80 feet above the desert floor, but it's pitch black and they see light from a city and they think that that's the stars. They've gotten themselves upside down and they're chasing after something that isn't authentic. At 405 miles an hour, 80 feet above the desert floor, the guy in the back realizes that they're disoriented and takes control and flips and presses the eject as they crash into a radio tower thinking that it's starlight. What's the power and significance of that? When we get disoriented, when we get focused on the wrong kind of light, the false light, when we lose sense and something inauthentic and non-eternal gets, captures our eyes and holds on to our hearts, we don't know if we're right side up or upside down. And Jesus is saying, hey, if the treasure that you're chasing after is connected to your heart and the things that you're looking for and looking after have inverted your life, you're in danger. Living for now will do that to us. Being desperate for right now causes us to be in mortal danger. That's why Jesus says, if then that light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I've lost track of perspective before. I've looked around and played the comparison game, thought about what I think I'm entitled to. I've walked into that tension before it does something to us gets into our core it gets into our heart it's all about perspective i think god cares a lot about our perspective 
one of the most powerful things that changes in us when we meet Jesus is our perspective of who we are. I was thinking about when I was young. I was an angry kid. I had a pretty good idea that I was an accident. My biological dad wasn't around. My stepdad was a jerk. My parents worked all the time, and I just kind of roamed around angry. And I was certain that I had been ripped off. I saw other families and other situations, and I thought, see, they, they got, they hit the lottery. They got the thing that I see on TV, but I didn't get it. Now, they had their own problems, but I'm 13, 14 years old, and I can just see they got what I didn't get. And I got to be honest with you. When I met Jesus, when I met God, when someone explained to me for the first time how great is the love the Father has lavished on you, that you should be called a child of God, something in me broke. My perspective changed. I got God's vantage point for my life, and I started to see not darkness, but light, and it changed everything about, now I didn't think I was all of a sudden awesome. It took a long time for me to walk through a lot of things, but I thought I was maybe a chance that I was wanted. Maybe a chance that I wasn't an accident. A father's love was available to a knucklehead like me. Are you kidding me? And Jesus is saying perspective matters. How you see things matter. The value you place on things matter. Understanding what God sees when he sees you and me, it just matters. But we get so caught up in the now, in our circumstance, we can't see the big picture. God intercepts us. And then we turn that and we look at others. C.S. Lewis said something incredibly profound and powerful. He said, it is no small deal to be in the presence of other humans who if we were to see their heavenly shape and form, we might be tempted to worship them. What do you see when you see other humans that God created? What do you recognize? What is your perspective? When the Bible says God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that's for everyone? That God wanted that for, and that's how valuable they are? Do you see the power of perspective? Do you see how it changes what we see when we see people? Even the really irritating ones? Even the one you're sitting next to? No, I'm just gonna keep going. Um, (laughs) God cares about that. Jesus cares about that. Once the lens I see things through changes, everything changes. I can't just live for the now. I have to see bigger pictures. I have seen people blow up their families because of things they saw that they wanted right now. I gotta have it and I gotta have it now. I got to have it and I got to have it now. I watched in one situation a family that was going through a very difficult time. I'll be careful what I share, but a very difficult time with a sick child and they received money as a gift and the person who received the money just didn't feel like it was enough and he went and he gambled with it. And I watched it rip a family apart. I'm just, why? Because I got to have it now. And I don't trust, oh, come on. I don't trust that God will provide. 
And since I don't think he'll provide, I feel like it's on me. And since it's on me, then anything is on the table right now to do whatever I think I need to do. Jesus is like, if that's what you see, then the lamp is bad. And if that lamp goes dark, how great is that darkness? What do you see? When you look at your situation, you look at your resource, you look at your need, do you see something that God has control of? Or are you on your own? Because if you're on your own, that lamp will go dark real quick. You won't care about anything else except for what you think you need. And Jesus says that kind of living, that's the, that's the average. We gotta push past that. We gotta push past that. How do we get the right perspective on things? Well, a good place to start is here. Recognizing the truth of God's word and what he says. Getting around people who see things differently sometimes challenges us, begins to help us give perspectives. Spending time in prayer and hearing the voice of God. It's really difficult to spend time praying for people and then see them, come on now, as less than to see them as tools for your own benefit. It's really hard to do that when you've been talking to Jesus about blessing them. It challenges us all. Verse 24, let's make everybody angry. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. Either he'll hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, don't worry, we already took the offering. I'm not going to leverage any guilt or shame into here. Jesus talks about it, so we need to talk about it. He says, we got to deal first with our heart and what it's attached to and what we're storing up and hoarding and not being generous and having a heart that thinks we need to have it. Then he says, you got to deal with your perspective and the way you see things and the way you value things and your value system has to be aligned with God. And now he says, there's going to be decisions you actually have to make with your resource. He says, decisions that will impact us for eternity. Who are we going to choose to be? I was challenged by what does it mean to serve both God and money. Some versions will capitalize money. Some versions will use the word mammon there, which is the Greek word um, for an idol, a false god that represented wealth or treasure or money. And essentially what Matthew is articulating here is that things will vie for first place in your life. Not that these, either of these things are evil, but they'll vie for the first position of your heart. And one of them will win. So who will it be? So I was challenged by this and I was like, okay, what does it look like to serve money? What does that look like? If I'm serving money, what does that look like? Well, if I'm serving money, then I, you know, I don't like do what money says. Money doesn't talk, right? It doesn't speak to you unless your perspective is really weird. And then stop taking whatever that is. You can't just do literally what money says. But here's how you know you're serving money. Tell me if this is fair. If you are calculating your behaviors to maximize whatever benefit money can give to you. If your energy and resources are calculated so that you can maximize whatever benefits money can give to you. If you're always thinking, how can I maximize the benefits I get in my life from money? If that's driving you, then you're serving money. Fair enough. Flip that around. How do you know you're serving God by that definition? 
if you are calculating your behaviors so that you can maximize the benefits of the kingdom of God, if you are always, come on now, thinking about how do I maximize the kingdom of God, well, then you're serving God. The tension of those two worlds, Jesus says, they're not compatible. You can't maximize both things. It just doesn't work. I'm not the one who said it. He is. He says, you cannot say, I want everything the kingdom of God has to offer for me and then live your life in a way to maximize the benefits that you get from mammon or from serving money. They're mutually exclusive. So the tension walks into our lives. Is money bad? Absolutely not. One definition was this. Which thing are you using and which thing are you serving? That will tell you. Which thing are you living for and which thing is a resource for you? And that's a hard, I mean, everyone would go, oh, that's easy. I'm God first and money. But think about your life. You want to know if that's true or not? Look at your checkbook. Look at your calendar. Look at where your resource is going into. Some of you are like lock on eye contact with me and some of you are no on contact with me. It's funny to see your different <laughs> reactions to, to that conversation. And that's the truth. How do we know who we're serving? Where's our time going? Where's our energy going? Where's our resource going? How do we break that open into our life? Well, we figure out ways. You want, you want to measure if money's ruling in your life right now? Are you able to be as generous as you want to be? Is there things that come into your life and heart that you want to be able to do, but you can't? You're unable to do them? Have you, <laughs> this one's unfair, but it's true. Have you acquired a level of debt that is own, have created a, a tension and owning in your life? Is that holding you down? Is living for the now burying you under the ability to be a blessing to others later? It's a fair question. Jesus says we got to be honest about those things. We got to realize that that tension is real and that it's causing weight on those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers from being able to do what Jesus has called us to do. Notice I didn't even mention tithing or giving to the church there so you guys all could feel fresh off that. Here's the thing. If you're getting into the word of God and you understand the truth of God and you're unable to do it, because something else has a hold on your life, you should care about that. It should create a tension in you. It's a funny thing about handling your treasure here on earth. If it's done wisely, it can keep you free. If it's done foolishly, it can give you weight to carry that you weren't designed to carry. And Jesus said, don't be stuck there. Don't let that hold you down. Financial weight, relational weight, emotional weight, identity weight, spiritual weight, all heaped on because our treasure and our heart are connected. And all those other things start to happen. No wonder Jesus leans so heavily into this. There, there have been 
Folks that have said, and I haven't done the study myself, so I'm just gonna say folks that have said that Jesus talks about money more than any other topic in the Bible. I know at least about 15% of the New Testament is, is literally speaking to us about our treasure or our wealth and how we manage it. And there's a reason, because Jesus is aware, God is aware that there is a string between our heart and whatever we treasure. And it's just connected. And God's in the heart business. He cares about what's going on in here way more than he cares about the externals. Some of you are so worried about all the externals to please God and God's looking at the heart and you're trying to check off boxes. Like I didn't sin too much and I didn't do this too much and I didn't, whatever it is. Like there's some performance thing going on between you and God and God is simply concerned about the relationship he has with you in your heart. So why wouldn't he talk about treasure a lot? Why wouldn't he feel the pressure to, to, to want us to be free from being entangled in things that control and dominate our heart? He wants you to experience that freedom. Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way. Verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled. Let's just think about that for a second. The author of Hebrews is saying, hey, there are things that entangle and hinder you. We gotta throw that stuff off. We have to get free from that. Verse two, uh, I'm sorry. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He scorned its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's Jesus. He's saying, I have shown you how to do this. You're the Jesus people. You've got to throw off the things that have got you all tied and bogged down so that you can run the race that I set out for you to run. And the things that get in your heart will do that. Let me throw one twist at you because many of us struggle with this. How do we deal with someone we know and that we love that is heading down a path of destruction financially, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually? Because sometimes it's not us, but you know somebody who's heading down that path. You know somebody who's heading through that. And I know this is hard, especially when it comes to people that we love. So it's important that we guard our heart and that we stay focused. And here's the tools we have in our arsenal. It's pretty simple. I'll give it to you. The first one is pray. And then pray. And then pray some more. You gotta start there. If you're not going to your knees and you're not talking to Jesus and you're concerned about somebody, I don't know what to tell you. You're not accessing the first tool that you have, bringing the presence of God into that situation, bringing heaven to earth. The second thing we do is we live like Jesus designed us to do and we find ways to love those folks. We can't let our heart get, come on, our perspective has to stay right. Some of us, our heart gets so judgmental so quick. Someone's going down to choices and a path that we're like, ah, oh, we can't have anything to do. And we, we stop loving. Now listen, boundaries are good, but it's not permission to stop loving. So we open our heart. We say, I'm gonna love you. I don't agree with your choices. I'm gonna set an example. I'm not gonna join you in that. I'm gonna be the person that when you hit the spiral end, you go, I need out of here. I need that. That thing that you have. And that's the next thing. We be the Jesus that they need to see. 
Love like Jesus. Live like Jesus. Be the example. When I began to move out of my own mire and clay, I didn't go to the people who were in the mire and clay with me and say, how do I get out of this? Come on. I went to the people who didn't get in the mire and clay with me and I said, hey, how do I stay out of this? Because you're doing something I'm not doing. And they loved me. And they introduced me to tools and resources that began to change my heart and life and my perspective. And the lamp of my eye went from dark to light. And I began to see what God saw. And it changed me. Sometimes we just got to ask the Lord for wisdom, timing, and guidance. <laughs> Some of us are in the now and later mode and we're like, now, I need you to change your behavior. Do it now. We stay in mom and dad mode, right? And we're just like, do it now. And we just got to say, God, give us wisdom. Give us timing. Give us guidance. If someone had come in the wrong moment, and at just the right time, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What is that about just the right time? It's Jesus understands what that looks like for us. We can't control somebody. We can influence them. We can love them. We can pray for them. We can be kind to them. So let me ask you some questions. I'm gonna challenge you just a little bit. Would you stand with me? We're gonna wrap up here. I just, I just feel in my heart, God's just given us this opportunity to press in for just a moment, to ask some basic questions. And the first one is just this. Where's your treasure today? What is your heart most connected to? Are you building it here in earth? Is it all about the now? Are you sending it forward for the later? Jesus says, everything here, the moth eventually gets, rust eventually destroys. Those things don't last. Does that mean that we shouldn't be responsible? Of course not. This was never about stewardship. This is about our heart being connected to everything in the now and missing missing the future. What are you focused on? What has your eye? This is hard. When you're laying in bed trying to fall asleep, what's the thing that's just spiraling around? If I just had this, if I could just do this, if I could just get that, what are you letting into your life? Is it lighting and illuminating? Is he drawing you to Jesus? Is it changing your perspective on who you are and who people are that he loves? Or is it just focus me, 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 me? Where's your focus? The last thing is hard, but just true. If you were to look at the measure of your life, what are you serving? Who are you serving? Jesus says, you're gonna have one of two masters and you can lie to me. I'm not tracking you, so I don't know. But you can't lie to God. If you look at your checkbook, you look at your calendar, you look at your time, who are you serving? What's your perspective? Are you using the resource God's given you to expand the kingdom of God or is all about me? Now, listen, in the coming months, we're gonna do some things to break this open. Um, after the first of the year, we're gonna launch some Dave Ramsey stuff and we're gonna, we're gonna begin some small, we're gonna help uh, get on a path to, to, for some of us that need out. Some of you are like, I don't have the tools. I need the tools. The tools are coming. The tools will not be helpful if our heart, come on now, is buried in our treasure and in our systems of thinking right now. So I believe Jesus wants to deal with some heart stuff today. And the tools are coming. Because if our heart is right, we can use the tools to come on, get free. So where's your treasure? Where's your heart? 
I was in a conversation with someone just this weekend, and he gave just a basic statement. He said, I've been talking to people, and they're in financial stress. And the first thing I ask them is, how are they giving? How's their tithe? How's their... And their head goes down, and they're not doing any of those things. And it's like the, the connectivity, t- the connective tissue to this thing has a lock on my heart. And I'm, come on now. I'm just, it's, it's in here. I'm not trying to manipulate. It's just what he says. So God, I thank you. I thank you for a people who want to have the heart that you have to love what you love, to send treasure ahead and not be so tied to the now that we miss the future and what's better. God, I pray you would break the ties of instant gratification in our lives, that you would help break the patterns that we've got. You're the change agent. You're the pattern changer. Romans 12 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we'll be able to test and approve what your will is, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Would you transform hearts and minds, perspectives? God, I pray for the vantage point that you have that would see what you see and love what you love. Would you change us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. I pray freedom. I pray breaking of strongholds. I pray, God, where there's been guilt and shame. God, you didn't come to bring shame. You don't move through shame. You move through conviction and power. And I pray for the transformation that comes when truth comes in to these hidden parts of our lives. And we say, God, yes, this has been a pattern in me, but I give it and I surrender it to you. Would you transform and change by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray. I pray we would see, God, just things get loosed. And God, I pray for those of us that just are connected to people in a spiral. Give us a heart to love. Give us the right boundaries. Come on now. We don't want to be unwise, but we also don't want to be so fixated on our now that we lose sight of the eternal picture of your incredible love for people. Give us those eyes, I pray. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.